it really is fantastic that you are here today. You are the brave launching into this new year saying, I don't care what it feels like. If you need to get up and wiggle, I'm totally okay with that. Um, there, there is some coffee back there. If you believe that kind of poison is good for you, feel free to have some of that as we go forward. But I'm excited about this because I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this and planning this series for months. I, I, I had an idea in my head and we work towards it as we go. And so this is part one of what will be a four-part series called, I Want to Believe in God, But. And it was not that long ago that the majority of people in North America would have said, I believe in God. That was just what everyone kind of said. And as time has been going on, I, I think that many more people notice that there are a lot of people saying, you know what? I, I don't really believe in God. I, I'm not sure if I can. I'm not sure if I do. And I'm seeing more and more people today who are, they, they have those facial kind of expressions, those, the questions that come out that say, I want to believe. I, I, I would like to believe. But there's some ceiling. You know, there, there's, there's some hurdle that keeps them from believing. Now, there's a lot of people also out there who say, no way. You know what? God doesn't exist. There's no giant spaghetti monster out there floating around in space. That's all just an ignorant fairy tale for the weak-minded. There are a large number of people also who have grown up in church or grown up with some sort of spiritual contact. They've been attached to it somehow. And maybe they grew up believing in God, but they have had a pivotal circumstance. They've, they've had a crisis of faith. Something happened. Someone did something. Someone said something. They were hurt. They were disappointed, and they said, I want to believe, but I just can't. I'm trying, but it's not working. So what we want to talk about is, is real stuff, okay? Not some imagined kind of things. These are real things that real people are asking about. They look at these um, parts of life, and they go, I don't know what to do with them. I've got hurt. I've got disillusionment. I've got frustration. I've got anger. All of these things that damage what people perceive as a very fragile balance. The, 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 the ability to believe in God is so fragile, it's so tenuous, it's so thin that the smallest thing can just throw it all off. And this is the way that they're living. Now, that's why we want to talk about this because things people say and they, they push back, they say, I just can't believe in that God. And here's the shocker. When they say, I just can't believe in that God, in many of the scenarios that they describe, I agree with that person. There's so many people who say, I don't believe, I can't believe, but they're not really rejecting the God that we're going to look at, the God of Scripture. Instead, they're, they're rejecting a distorted view of a made-up God. They're rejecting a God that they, that they overheard somebody else talking about. So to get started, I, you know, just a, a little bit of fun to help set up this new section because, you know, that kind of feels a little bit heavy. So we're going to get started with a little bit lighter. So we're going to play a little bit of a crowd game today, okay? So some of you are going to be able to jump into this, no problem, it's going to be fine. Others of you, well, it's going to be a little bit more work for you, but it's going to go back to some of my roots and I hope that you can keep up. So when I was growing up, TV shows quite frequently seemed to come in pairs or sets. 
So I'm going to give you one TV show, and I want to see if you can think of the pair. Just shout it out, okay? If it makes you feel better, you can stand up and shout it out, because then you get to move a little bit more, and a little bit more of this is helpful. So here it is. I'm going to give you one. See if you can tell me the pair. This is going to favor some people in this congregation more than others, and sorry about that. Does anyone remember a show called The Love Boat? Okay. What was the show? What was the pair, the partner to that show? Do you remember? Fantasy Island, right. Hey, boss, the plane, the plane, right? I'm taking you on a little bit of a time warp. Like I said, this is going to be for some people more than others. Others go, I was not even born then. Um, how about Happy Days? Do you remember Happy Days, right? And, sorry? Okay, that, that's farther along, but the one that was playing at the same time. Laverne and Shirley, yes. Um, and then what two shows went better together than The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman, right? Do you remember the sound that they made when the bionics kicked in? Well, I remember that. We had fun. We watched those shows. We watched Mork and Mindy. And we watched The A-Team. And then a little later on, we got to see Knight Rider. And, and then we watched Magnum P.I., two car-focused shows um, that stuff sort of led to the birth of what was originally labeled must-see TV. Do you remember that? Thursday nights. And it started with Seinfeld. And right after Seinfeld, the double whammy came, and then we played, what was the next show? Friends. Right. I thought you guys should be better at this, <laughs> frankly. I read about it all in a book, but I mean, that, that's the ancient past, okay? And so if you're going, I don't even know what those shows are, I never watched any of those shows, then this is going to freak some of you right out, okay? Because when we watched those shows, when they came on, you actually had to be in front of the TV at the exact time that that show came on. Do you remember doing that? If the show came on at 8 o'clock on Thursday, if you wanted to watch that show, you had to be in front of the TV at 8 o'clock on Thursday. Otherwise, it was gone. You'd never see it again. There are no repeats. There are no reruns. It was just done, never to be seen again. And what was even worse is when you were watching that show that you had to be there at the right time, you had to watch all the commercials. There was no skipping, there was no avoiding, they were there and you had to do that and you had to sing along, right? Because you couldn't stop yourself from getting some of those jingles in your head. So here's your, next, your last test. What comes after this line? Tweet, tweet, twiddle, twiddle. There's, there we go, there's only one candy with a hole in the middle. I'm telling you. The jingles that they used to have were uh, incredible. They would stick in your head and not go away. So there was no getting around these commercials. There was no avoiding those. And obviously, we live in a different world today. Some people still watch commercials. And I tell you, when I watch uh, the World Juniors, I was just watching over the, the holidays. I'm going, this drives me insane, these commercials. And it feels like there's only four. And they rotate the same commercials. It was driving me crazy. New generation. How many of you in the last two weeks have binged to watch the show? It's time to tell the truth, people. Don't lie. 
Binge watching is the thing. Now you can watch your five favorite episodes whenever you want, right? You just sort of dial it in and turn it on. We now live in what has been termed the on-demand generation. That's sort of what we expect, right? And so here's my thought process. Because everything we want now is on demand. You can get it in two days or, or, or single-day delivery from Amazon. Or you can download it. Or you, you can get on push notifications when the new stuff comes. Um, everything seems like it's on demand. And I believe that there are many people who want, many people who feel like they deserve an on-demand God. And you know what? I prayed about it. I told God what I wanted. I made it clear God didn't do it. Therefore, I don't believe in God. God should do exactly what I pray. An on-demand God is, is great until on-demand God doesn't do what you ask him to do on demand. And this may be your story. Maybe this is someone's story that you know right around, and you, have, yeah, you might be like a teenager, and you were praying and begging for God to save your parents' marriage. And you believed that he would, and you prayed that he would, and it didn't happen. You say, where are you, God? You, you might be the person that's so giving to others, always sharing, always helping, and, and you're, you're doing good deeds. It's always on your heart to be kind and generous, and you're still struggling financially, and you're like, God, what's up with that? How come? How come I give and, and, and I don't get more? You might be the, the, the one in your group that when you prayed and you prayed and you prayed for somebody believing that God would heal them and, and they weren't healed. You say, what's up with that, God? You, you might be one of those people who's happily married and your dream is to have a kid your own child. And you, you see all around you when you want a child, all you can see is pregnant people. And you, you hear about story after story about someone who got pregnant and they didn't even want the child and all that you want is your own. God, where are you in the midst of this? How is that fair? So when God doesn't do what we think that he should do, know that he could do, when we think that he should do it, a lot of people get frustrated. And they decide that God must either not be real, not be powerful, not be good, or not care. Where is my on-demand God? I don't think he even exists. And the answer is, we agree. On-demand God doesn't exist. On-demand God is not real. And as a pastor, I've, I've heard so many of these painful statements. I want to believe in God, but I prayed that he would get rid of my depression. Didn't happen. So I can't believe in God. I want to believe in God, but, but he didn't save my marriage. So I can't believe in God. On-demand God doesn't exist. What we have to do is make sure that we understand where we fit in the whole grand narrative, the bigger picture, the meta story of God and creation and eternity. So we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit on this, even if it doesn't fit our paradigm or our worldview. 
God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. It's true whether or not you like it. Even if this is lousy to hear, it makes sense, but it's not nice to hear. God does not do whatever we want whenever we want Him to do it. We already know that part. It's just acknowledging at the same time that that doesn't mean that he's not God. So he may answer prayers. He answers prayers all the time. If you've been part of this church for any length of time, we have a long list of prayers that God has answered, blessings that he's provided, prayers that we didn't quite get to praying yet, and he's still providing in that way. But his highest calling is not to do what we think he should do. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. We have to recognize it. And and, and when and if you're reading the Bible, you are not the main character of the Bible. God is the main character of the Bible from the beginning to the end. God is not our celestial sugar daddy who gives us what we want. He's not our cosmic genie in the sky that you just sort of rub his belly in the right way and you get three wishes. He isn't the cosmic Coke machine where you, you, you put in your prayer, you give your tithe, you push the button, and out comes your answered prayer. No, God is the creator. We are the created. God is the potter. We are the clay which he forms. He is the Lord of all, and we are his servants. We need to understand on demand, God does not exist. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. Now, now that we've got that sort of established, you say, well, well, if that's not who God was, and I thought that's who God was, then what's his role? Who is he? What does he do in this, um, this world? What does he do in my life? So what I want to do is unpack a little bit more of who God is. That's my not-so-secret goal of this message series, to help us all get to know God better by recognizing who he's not. So I believe that there's people all over the world today that are not rejecting God, they're rejecting a distorted view, an inaccurate view, a hearsay, overheard, implied view of God. So if God is not on-demand God, then who is he? First, God's heart is always loving. Let me tell you two things I know if you're a parent. Number one, There's a time, there's never a time when you don't love your children. There are times when you don't like your children. There are times when you want to trade them in. There are times when you want to knock them into the middle of next week, but you don't do it because you're better than that. You always love your kids. Number two, there are times when you do not do what they want even when you have the power to do it, right? You always love them, but there are times when you don't do what they want you to do, even when you have the power to do it. You tell them again and again, hey, don't forget your lunch. Don't forget your lunch. Don't forget your lunch. And then like the fourth time, they say, hey, I forgot my lunch again. Can you just drive it by? And you say, no, sorry, no lunch today. You've got to remember, not because I can't do it, not because I'm being mean, but because if if you don't learn to take care of these things, it has larger consequences down the road. You fall down, you've got to learn to get back up. You've got to learn to put your things away so you can find them. 
this is going to last the rest of your life. And if I don't help you learn that now, you're going to be calling me again later, and I don't want you to do that. Um, you got to learn to do your own laundry. It's a life skill, again, that you're going to need for the rest of your life. So figure out that puzzle on your own. And then when you conquer that puzzle, the complete sense of overcoming is yours. It's not because I don't have the power. It's not because I don't love you. It's actually because I love you that I'm not always going to do exactly what you want. Sometimes I'm trying to develop something in you rather than to do something for you. And so we need to understand that, that when God doesn't do exactly what we want, even if we know he could and believe he should, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. He's always loving. He always has our best interest at heart. So Romans chapter 8, uh, Romans, a, a great letter written by the apostle Paul to uh, people that he was sort of introducing himself to in Rome. Hey, I'm coming, but before I get there, I, I want you to kind of know who I am. I want you to know what I believe. That's why Romans has such a, a large section of teaching in it, larger than any of the other um, uh, epistles. So in Romans 8, 35, he says, well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Now let me update this a little bit because chances are pretty good that most of you won't be naked in front of a sword this week. If you are, that's a story that I really like to hear, all right? But what shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall financial trouble? Shall relationship breakdowns? Shall unemployment? Shall illness? Shall cancer? Shall depression? Shall injustice? Shall willful, intentional cruelty? Shall disappointment? Shall betrayal? And we can answer this the same way like as in verse 37 when Paul says, no, in all these things and, and everything else that you can think of, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's heart is always loving regardless of what the circumstances are around us. We need to understand that God doesn't prove his love to us when he answers our prayers. Oh, great. He gave me what I wanted. I guess he really does love me. God proved his love when he sent his son, Jesus. He doesn't prove it when he does what we want. God proved and proves his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God's heart is always loving. There's never a time when he doesn't love you, but he will not always do what we think that he should do. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
He is always loving, regardless of who you are, where you are, or what you've done. He's not on-demand God. He's always loving. But secondly, God's ways are always higher. His ways are always higher than our ways. And I need to kind of just unpack this for a moment because as a pastor, honestly, I get some of these different scenarios, they come up and somebody will say, well, why did this happen? Explain this to me. And I got to tell you, honestly, up front, the vast majority of the time, when I don't understand, I don't fake it. And, and, and I never try to pull something out and say, well, maybe it was because of this, and maybe it's because you don't come to church enough, and maybe you don't give enough, read your Bible more, pray more. I don't try to make something up or try to give guilt. Truthfully, there are so many different times when it would be wrong and even dangerous for me to try and explain what God was thinking, because I don't know what God is thinking. There are so many times and there's so many things that happen that are above my pay grade when I'll take my faith in God over my wisdom and my limited ability to understand. A child is born handicapped. Why did this happen? You know what? I don't know. I got no explanation whatsoever. A really good person is struck down in the middle of life. A great person. You know, the drunk driver lives, the good person dies. Why did that happen? I don't know. I don't understand it either. A natural disaster. A a, a terrorist event. Why them and not someone else? Again, I don't understand it either. There are so many things that I wouldn't even attempt to describe. But what I will do is embrace Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. And it doesn't always make me feel good to feel this disconnect. But it's an explanation. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And honestly, I take great comfort recognizing that God is wiser than I am. That he is already in tomorrow. The time doesn't hold him. That he sees far beyond what I can see. He's a sovereign God working in all things to bring about good. He doesn't make all things happen, but he works in all things, rewriting evil, redistributing the the bad that was in it and transforming it into grace. I believe that God has the end in mind all the time. That he's using even the things that I don't want to conform me to the image of his son. That his ways, his knowledge, his power goes well beyond my limited understanding that my finite mind has. His infinite and and, and glorious ways are always there. And I don't have to understand everything to trust his heart. I don't have to have a full explanation to believe, oh, now I got it. Thank you, God. Thanks for stopping doing everything else so you could explain everything to me before I will go ahead. The whole plan is obey, trust, obey, trust, obey, trust. That's the whole plan. Not just when things are going well. His character, his heart, his nature, his goodness, his ways are higher. 
His ways are different. And the more I'm involved in trusting him, the more I see those things happening and being revealed. So oftentimes you'll you'll recognize, even when you don't understand it at the moment, years later, you look back and you say, oh, I can see why that path actually took me to a better place. So some of you, you're going through something right now and you hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. I don't understand. God, your ways are higher than my ways. God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are always higher. So so go back to Scripture. That's what I've learned to do. When it feels like there's too much piling on and I can't figure it out, I can't process it all, when you're in trouble, go back to Scripture. Repeat Scripture. Tell yourself the truth. Fill your mind back up with truth. When we were trying to move to Stouffville, we looked at all kinds of houses. I think, I think we actually got to 85. 80, we've been in all of your homes. We, we were, we were going to buy them all. Uh, we, we, we looked at so many. And, and three or four times, I don't remember exactly, um, we, we put offers in. And we didn't get any of them. And some of them were, were multiple back and forths. Here's your paper, sign this, change that, adjust this. We got back and forth, adjusting, changing, and then we got dropped. Time after time, we'd say, oh my gosh, I wanted that house. That house looked good. It looked like it would do everything that we wanted our house to be able to do. I don't understand. We're doing good things. We're doing them for the right reasons. God, I'm going there. I've got to plant a church for pity's sake. Help me out. And then later on, we we have a house that was not on the market. Not even on the market. Come with an exclusive offer just to us. They tried to offer it to other people and their offers got taken down. A house that just seemed to fall into our laps. Oh God, now I see. You had something better in mind. Something beyond what we had asked for. And this doesn't mean that you're always going to get the upgrade. Um, We look to face our pivotal circumstances. We will choose to see interruption as opportunity. We need our spiritual family to be around us, to remind us of truth, to be translators of circumstance. It's not good to just have your own opinion on everything. It's good to help other people remind you of things when you're in the midst of the muck. So as we face the unexpected and the seemingly unexplainable, we will keep our eyes open for the providential relationships that God lines up for us. Eternity will be different. It will be different because of things that I don't understand. I don't have to understand them for eternity to be different because of them. The world will be different and better because I obeyed and I trusted Jesus today. On-demand God doesn't exist. And if that's the God that you've been hoping for or that your friends have been trying to trust in, of course you're disappointed. That God does not exist. Third thought, and I hope that you'll be able to embrace this one, is God's presence is always enough. There comes a time when you truly pursue Him that you'll get to know Him and you'll get to see His character in action. You will get to know his nature in such a way that you'll grow into a deep assurance. He's your rock. And you'll be able to say, 
I don't even have to worry about what will happen to me because my God is with me. He was with me today. He will be with me tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds except for the fact that my God will be with me. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen to me because I know that he's good. I know that he never leaves me because he'll never forsake me because he is working in partnership with me and because he won't leave until we're finished. And I'm not finished yet. So this is the posture of a guy from the Old Testament who was king, King David. Um, He had the intimacy of trusting God when things didn't make sense. And so you think, oh yeah, King David. I mean, obviously everything was easy for him. He's a king, for pity's sake. He's in the Bible. He must have known he was in the Bible. He didn't know he was in the Bible. Um, No, this dude, he had to cry out to God more than probably any three of us put together. And we we have more of a record of it because he wrote so much of it down. So many of the Psalms were written by David. And he's saying stuff like, why are you allowing this? Why am I on the run again? God, where are you? I thought we had a plan in motion. Why are you letting my enemies do this to me? This doesn't seem fair. God, I've done everything right. How come? He had more dark valleys than most of us will ever know about. Yet as he grew to know the faithfulness of God, this is what David wrote. One of the greatest sections of Scripture in all time. It seems that it's been transcended. Whether you have anything to do with the Bible or not, or God or not, you seem to know something about Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Even if I walk through a place where I could die in a heartbeat, even though I walk through a place where there's no physical nourishment, even though I walk through a place and there's robbers and people on the attack, even though I walk through the darkest point of my life, I don't have to be afraid, God. Why? Because you're here. You're here because your presence is enough. So I took my kids skating a couple of times over the break, uh, outdoors, because we're crazy. Um, some, some of my kids have more experience skating than others. And so they were skating and having fun and laughing, skating, twirling, playing shinny. And then it happened. One little deke and a dipsy doodle and an overextension that turned into a spinorama and then Griffin went down and landed on his elbow. No pads. He didn't like that very much. And he let out a cry that makes you feel like the world was going to end for him right there. And the tears came. And I could hear, I was walking back and forth, but I could hear, Daddy! Now, as a parent of three boys, my approach has changed greatly over the years. Kid number one, I am running. Kid number three, I meander over. I, I, I help him up. And I get under the side bench over there. And, and every parent knows you can't do anything to fix that sore elbow, right? We don't have any medications or sprays or potions or lotions. He just needs to come through that initial shock and discomfort. What he needs more than anything is just my presence. I assure him he feels comforted simply because I'm there. His brothers are not enough. So I hold him close and I speak gently and calmly and close to him. 
and I give him a smile, and I tell him what no child or adult believes at that point. You're going to be okay. And I hug him, and I let him cry, and I snuggle him, and I tell him he can rest here for a moment, and I give him some water to drink, and he drinks a little, and it's not very long after that that he pushes away from me, and he says, I'm okay, Dad. I want to go skate again. There is tremendous power in presence. My presence with my son, God's presence with us, his presence is transformative and it's healing. For some, God's presence feels distant. And so that's part of our role and our mission as a church. We are the faithful presence of God in our town. Where we go, where we are, we are the faithful presence of God. There are some things that we cannot avoid. Some things we simply must face, overcome, bear up under, and come through. In those times, especially significant, it's especially significant to know and practice the presence of God. You have to seek the light. You can no longer take it for granted. Sometimes in the valleys that are covered by the shadow of death, we may better experience the presence of God than you do on those mountaintop experiences. You start to understand the faithfulness of God in the valleys and not just the power of God on the mountaintops. And I'm convinced that sometimes until God is all that you have, You'll never, ever realize God is all that you really need. Until he's all that you have, you'll never realize how much you've been distracted by everything else up until that point. Thinking that you were okay because of other things. With all of that in mind, I want to start this year off differently. This is a non-traditional moment, I'll tell you right now. What we're going to do is, is not what churches normally do. So that's what we're going to do. In the purest sense of it all, what I want to do right now is I want to thank God and I want to honor you with a New Year's toast. This is not vodka. As far as you know. I've been watching, I've seen, and I've heard. I know many of the stories, not all of them, and not fully, but I know many of the stories that are in our midst right now. I know some of what you are enduring. I know some of how you are hurting. I know some of how you're struggling. I know some of how you are grieving. I know some about how you've been mistreated. I know some of how you are healing. But I know more than that. In the midst of all that you're facing... I know some of what you are giving. 
I know some of what you are sharing. I know some of what you are sacrificing. I know some of what you have been offering up freely. I know some of what you are allowing God to change within your hearts. I know some of what you're doing to help those around you, whether they thank you or not. You are an amazing testimony to the enduring, empowering rescue of God in 2017. To those who continue to fight mental illness, well done. To those who refuse to give ground to discouragement and disillusionment, well done. To those who are trapped in grief but continue to connect regardless, well done. To those who are lonely but continue to seek healthy, giving relationships, well done. To those who are faced with economic challenges and yet who have determined to remain generous in spirit, well done. To those who have determined to do right and good in a world filled with corruption and evil, well done. To those of you who have given up something valuable, to give away something even more valuable. Well done. To those who have been violated at deep levels, but have determined to work towards forgiveness and not give up. Well done. These are not hypothetical accolades. These are recognitions of what is happening in our midst. With the people who are sitting around you right now, I honestly cannot express to you how proud I am of what you are doing. How you are choosing to live in the midst of it all. To you all, to into one, I say, well done. May God richly bless you and meet you in 2018. Kind Father, it is with a heart bursting with gratitude that I come before you today. We thank you, God, that you don't prove your love for us by doing what we want but you proved your love for us by sending Jesus so we could know you personally. But you didn't just send Jesus for us to read about. You sent the Spirit of Jesus to live within us, to empower us, to convict us of righteousness, to enable us to be agents of reconciliation, to gift us, to speak wisdom and discernment into us. You continue to give us value and worth by partnering with us to transform this broken, selfish world. 
God, we ask that in the next few moments, even as you have done a healing work in my heart, that you would do a healing work in hearts here today. God, in the midst of our joy and pain, would you simply remind us of your presence and allow that to empower us. As you are healing us, may we continue to be about the healing of those around us. Don't let us settle into the same rut this year. Transform us once again and continue to make us new. As we start this year, God, give us the vision to dream again. Give us the vision to believe again. Give us the faith to trust again. You are not on-demand God, but you are the good, giving, kind, and loving God. You are worthy of our trust, and so we hang our hopes on you. We hang the hopes for enormous change on you. We hang the hopes for healing on you. We hang our hopes for provision and blessing on you. Work in us and through us. Draw us into one and accomplish your will in our lives, in our church, in our town, in our country, in, in our world. May it be said by many more, praise the name of the Lord our God. Let us praise your name forever. And all God's people said, Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Ah, so glad to start this new year with you. It is better when you're here. It is better when we're together. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Thanks for being the faithful presence of God in Stouffville. Take that notion with you as you go and consider yourselves sent to be that presence to those who are around you. As you go, remember that we are Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused. The mission that we speak of is everyone, everywhere, and all the time. Tomorrow, 